morning. I enjoyed every one of those songs. They each were, each one was very special. And uh, I talked to TJ about the possibility of singing Waymaker every week because that really does kind of capture the theme of the book of Esther. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. We need to be mindful of the presence of the Lord that he is working, whether we see it or feel it. We need to be straining, in a sense, to see God at work in our lives. To really appreciate the book of Esther, it's required. As I said last week, I believe the author of Esther intentionally chose to spotlight the presence of God, that God is everywhere involved by not identifying God anywhere. And it causes us to search for God, to listen for him, to think about him and his involvement. Today, that's also important. And I hope that you had a chance to read chapters one and two. I wish I could read it to you. I love to say, and I could say it over and over because it keeps popping up. But we're not going to read chapters one and two, but I hope you'll have your Bibles open and pay attention as we look at Esther, especially in chapters one and two, and then we're gonna follow that up with a broader look at Esther next Sunday, Lord willing. Esther is the hero. That's why the book is named Esther. But what kind of hero is Esther? Any answer to that question begins with Esther as queen. It is as queen in her royal position that Esther is in the position to be used of God, in the position to be heroic by virtue of the things that she does to save her people. It's true of us, how we use our position in life. Any position is conditioned by our character, no matter what the position. What is the character of Esther? I think it's an important question, and that's our interest today and next week. Our search for the answer to that question begins with the search for a queen, a search for the replacement of Vashti. You remember that in the opening chapter, we were introduced to the king, Xerxes. Okay, I'll say it, Akashverosh. Xerxes has requested... And he sends seven of his 
inner circle servants to bring Vashti from another uh, banquet to the banquet that is at the end of uh, seven days of drinking. And Vashti refuses. She refuses the request of the king. And therefore, he puts her away. Uh, you could say Vashti was vanquished by the, by the king, and that initiated a search for another queen, a new queen. In that chapter, we're introduced to the king, to his empire, to his extravagance, to his self-indulgence. And as I said, we're also introduced to Vashti. Vashti's out for refusing the king, and it's the search for a new queen that interests us today. Why is Esther chosen? What are the requirements for a queen, a replacement of Vashti? Well, they're played out for us and repeated several times, but it is very clear. The new queen must be beautiful. Two, the new queen must be a maiden or a virgin. And three, the new queen must not be Vashti, which means the new queen must be compliant, must be obedient, must do the bidding of the king. There's a message here. In Persia, women are to be beautiful and compliant. For example, in verses 16 through 21 of the first chapter, the king's advisors turn Vashti's refusal to do the bidding of the king into a crime against every husband, every household, throughout the empire, across the peoples of many languages. And it is because of Vashti that all women are now bid to be obedient to their husbands. In verse 9, there's a sense that women are inferior. For example, we're told of this grand banquet in a number of verses, and then it's added that Vashti also is holding a banquet for the women. That banquet, that Separate banquet is the expression, means base, basically unequal. And the author is very careful to add a detail that we mustn't miss. That that location where they held the banquet belonged to the king. In other words, it's his property. The next queen has only one requirement aside from not being disobedient like Vashti, she must be beautiful. In other words, outer beauty and the pleasure of the king counts most in Persia. If it pleases the king, we read in verse 19, 
If it pleases the king, we read in verse 21, if it pleases the king, there's an allusion to that in verse 4, because everything that is done is done for the pleasure of what pleases the king. In fact, in verse 19 of chapter 1, they are to find another more worthy than Vashti. Some translations just read better than Vashti. But what does better mean? More worthy gets to the point. It has to do with being compliant, not necessarily more beautiful. Why am I stressing this? I'm stressing this because it's there. And I'm also stressing it because it colors the way we read chapter 2 and the introduction of Esther, which is extremely important. All the maidens are beautiful and compliant. When Esther is introduced in verse 7, is not Esther beautiful? Is she not compliant? We're led to think just that. She's not only beautiful, she's compliant. We're introduced to her name. Her name is Hadassah, which uh, is derived from the Hebrew word for myrtle, myrtle bush. But she has another name. Her name is Esther, which is Persian and derived from the word star and perhaps even an allusion to Ishtar, a goddess of the Persians. Esther lacks, we might think, any clear identity. Some who characterize Esther, who write on such things, who write commentaries, believe that this is an indication that Esther has a dual identity. In fact, she is dependent on Mordecai, we're told, in verse 10, verse 15 and 20. From those verses, we get a sense that she lacks conviction, from, she lacks spine, she appears helpless. She's so dependent on Mordecai. Esther hides her ethnic identity which suggests that she's absorbed in the culture. She's more Esther than Hadassah. She eats the food that's offered to her in verse 15. And we who read our Bibles know Esther is no Daniel. Esther, it may appear, to some it has, that she's compromised her Jewish rearing. She's secularized. She's baptized into the Persian culture. In fact, Esther, as we know, marries the king. He's a pagan. It's a marriage outside her faith. And it's to a man with whom she was intimate before marriage. So think with me. Why is Esther 
chosen as queen. How is she distinguished from all the other prospects and those candidates that are set apart in the harem? I would say, given that brief profile, Esther has nothing to commend her. She's beautiful, just like the others. She's Jewish, that's true, but it's not known. And how many other young women, young maidens were Jewish? Surely she's not the only maiden in the empire who is Jewish when all the maidens are rounded up. Remember all the diverse languages that the decrees are scripted in. There are many peoples in this empire that stretches, we're told again and again, from India all the way to Ethiopia. Esther, it seems, has surrendered to a Persian world that prizes physical pleasures, beauty, and wealth. She's adopted a godless life, and she's in it for the high life. It would seem, until chapter 4, verse 12, when Mordecai confronts her with saving her people as a queen because of her position at such a time as this. And in a sense, on this approach to Esther, it is an ordeal. It is a conflict in her life that brings out Esther and the qualities that lead to the hero, the heroism of Esther. I want to suggest a different take on Esther and why she is chosen. First, our author is not praising the Persian court. He's making fun of it. The Persian court, of course, is an easy target when we're reading about it in Esther. There's conspicuous consumption to the extreme. In verses 12 through 14, just to give one example, as we look at the process of selecting a new queen in these verses, imagine this with me. The maiden goes to the king in the evening. It is something that she's been prepped for for 12 months. In the morning, she's led to the harem where she will remain the rest of her life as a concubine, for what has belonged to the king is ever the king's. All the beauties from India to Ethiopia are never seen again. They are now wards of the palace. And they're never to see the king again unless he should by chance, remember her name. And so our author is saying, how foolish 
is this. How foolish the king's pleasures that require maidens to be anointed for six months with oil of myrrh and six months of spices and cosmetics before a visit or audience with the king. How foolish this process that has taken four years. There's no queen. There's no queen between the third year, which we read in verse 3 of chapter 1, and the seventh year, which we read in verse 16 of chapter 2. During this four-year period, the king is going through this process with all of these women. And the writer is saying, that is just crazy. The absurdity we're expected to be amused by. Take Haman, for example. In chapter 1, verse 22, every man should be the master of his own house. This is by the decree of the king. It's translated into all the languages of the empire. And every household and every neighborhood and every district and every satrapy and every noble and leader is to be under, understanding of this. And yet every time we read Haman is with his wife, it's his wife he listens to. It's his wife who has his ear. It's his wife who talks sense. He's the most powerful man next to the king. And yet his wife is really the leader in his home. In chapter 5, verse 14, Haman builds a gallows on his wife's advice. He's upset with Mordecai and doesn't know what to do. He doesn't even want to lay eyes on Mordecai. And he's so frustrated. So his wife says, well, why don't you get rid of him? Build a gallows. So what does Haman do? He builds a gallows to hang Mordecai on 75 feet tall. To hang one man? This is laughable, and we're supposed to be laughing. The absurdity of all of this. But note this, and this is extremely important in my opinion. After all of this, the first verse of chapter 2 tells us something else that was absurd has happened. And the king remembers it. It's Vashti. He remembers Vashti. He remembers her, and he remembers what was decreed against her. And it's clear that he regrets it. The word is not used. But this is interesting. When he remembers, it's after his anger has subsided. It's after he's in his right mind, after he's sane, after he's no longer drunk. And he remembers Vashti. And the verse just stops short of saying, and he misses her. He pines for her. But immediately, we're told that advisors 
grab the king's attention and begin to fill his head and his heart with visions of a new queen, a beautiful young queen who will be better than Vashti, more worthy than Vashti. It's very important that we see the description of Vashti again in the light of chapter 2, verse 1, the description of Vashti in verse 11 of chapter 1. We are told that Vashti was fair and beautiful. There's only one other woman that these adjectives are used of in the book of Esther, and that is Esther herself. Vashti and Esther are described as fair and beautiful. And these descriptions, which appear nowhere else, come to mind when we are introduced to Esther in verse 7. Why did, why did Vashti refuse the king's request? We're never told. Whatever the reason, we admire Vashti for standing up to all this nonsense, all this self-indulgent extravagance that is purely for the satisfaction of one man, Xerxes, the king. By the way, the word that is used of Vashti and Esther, the word fair, that's a bit of a tip-off that Esther will be chosen when she's described in verse 7. Bible readers will remember that Jacob selected Rachel, for she was fair and of fair appearance. Genesis 29, verse 17. And Potiphar's wife desired jo Joseph, for he was fair and of fair appearance. Genesis 39, 6. And David chose Abigail, who is described as fair in 1 Samuel 25.3. So when we're told that Vashti is fair and then Esther is fair, we're tipped off that the hand of the Lord is on Esther and that she will be the chosen one. But Vashti shows us a queen's character at the outset of the, of the story that colors her beauty. In other words, when we think of Vashti, we don't just think of beauty, we think of character. We don't know exactly why she was dismissed or what her reason for refusing the king was, but compared to everything else that's going on, we can't help but think of her as noble and a woman of character. The king himself, as I said, calls us to look at her that way in chapter 2, verse 1, when he no longer drunk, but sane. When his anger is gone, he remembers Vashti and the decree against her. Seven verses behind that, verse 7, Esther is introduced. In chapter 2, not only is Esther then immediately, in a way, compared with Vashti, but a unique expression is used of Esther 
that tells us there's more to Esther than her looks, more than just appearance. We're told that Esther obtained grace. Esther obtained favor. Esther obtained grace and favor. This word for favor is found over 40 times in the Old Testament, such as Noah found favor, but not obtained favor. He found favor. He found grace in Genesis 6, verse 8. But here we're told Esther obtained favor. Favor is never a reference to what is on the outside. Favor is always a reference to what is on the inside. There's more to Esther than her looks. In verse 9, we're told that Esther pleased him and she obtained his favor. Speaking of a guy. In verse 15, we're told that Esther obtained grace in the eyes of all who met her. And in verse 17, we're told that she obtained grace and favor from him, the king, more than all other maidens. This isn't just a beauty contest to the king. Despite all the other girls, Esther draws special attention by her character, starting with Haggai in verse 9. In verse 15, with all who meet her, and in verse 17, with the king. Despite the original plan that was to extend through the entire experience, at the four-year mark, once that's elapsed, we're told he loved Esther more than all the others, and he made her, get this, he made her queen in the place of Vashti. Why? Well, she must be more worthy than Vashti. If Vashti is the benchmark, Esther is a cut above. And as I've already, I hope, convinced you, Vashti is not just another pretty face. Why is this? In what way is she different? I want to focus on two quick clues in verses 8 and 9, and then verses 12 through 14. Let's look at the first clue in verses 8 and 9. Esther is taken to the king's palace in the custody of Haggai. Esther is not gathered together with all the other women. Esther is taken. Is this a pointer to her inner character and grace that matches her outer beauty? Is she taken against her will while the others kind of push in line, all eager to be the queen? Is Esther of spirit and perhaps not as eager? She has to be, so to speak, brought along or led. Esther, in verse 9, 
is shown to express modesty and inner charm that gets the notice of Haggai. So the first clue has to do with her spirit and character. And in verses 12 through 14, we see the second. In 12 through 14, the preparations of all the, all the candidates, I mean, it's so extensive, but we shouldn't forget these are the same preparations that Esther undergoes. Yet, given all those preparations that include Esther, we are given verse 15. Esther is set apart. We're given her full-fledged name, her lineage. It says in verse 15, when the turn came for Esther, she asked for nothing but what Haggai, the king's eunuch, advised. Unlike the others, Esther's described, unlike them, as modest and gracious. She refrains from exploiting all the options open to her as a candidate. She remains modest and humble. And as a result, Esther obtains favor in the eyes of all. Of all, that's interesting. She stands apart. Verse 17, we then read, the king loved Esther more than all the women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight. And he made her queen instead of Vashti. So what do we see about Esther? Well, in verse 10, we're told Esther had not made known her people or her kindred, for Mordecai has commanded her not to make it known. That's before her audience with the king. What about after she is queen? Look at verse 20. Esther did not make known her kindred or her people, for Mordecai commanded her. What does this tell us about Esther? She's a consistent, faithful, loyal. She's the same before and after. She's the same because of her character through this whole process. Esther does not change. So I want to suggest to you very quickly, Esther has character. That's my first thing I want you to kind of cinch into your thinking about Esther. She has character. She has a queenly character like Vashti. Secondly, Esther has an X factor. She has an inner quality. And I think it's due to her upbringing. But Esther obtains grace. She obtains favor. She has a humble wisdom, a sweet spirit, due to her upbringing by Mordecai. We'll see if that isn't the case as we proceed next Sunday. And third, Esther has loyalty. Loyalty to Mordecai. Loyalty to her upbringing. Loyalty that takes after Mordecai. And yet we'll see Esther excels Mordecai. 
We will return to Esther next Sunday. Now that we've laid some groundwork, I think we can do that. But why did she not reveal her identity? Well, Mordecai required it. So she was loyal, faithful, obedient. She wasn't just weak or had no will of her own. She disciplined her will to do what was right. But I have something more to say about that, and we'll look at that next Sunday. Is Hadassah relevant to the interior of her character and Esther to her appearance? We'll consider that. I'll have more to say about that as well. In the meantime, I leave us with these closing questions. Would we stand up to to foolishness like Vashti? We will see that Esther does, but not with defiance, but with wisdom and with dignity. Would we adhere to things taught us for reasons we don't clearly understand when they come, say, from people we admire and trust or look up to? I looked up to my pastor that way. Would we do this with our parents when our parents have shown themselves good and honorable people? Would we carry through life lessons that they gained through experience and through difficulty and that they in a time-honored way, learn from even others. These things, I think, should characterize the people of God. Would we have a gracious humility and selflessness as did Esther, like Mordecai? Esther's humility may seem hard to make out at this point, but showing respect, even though it can look weak and ill-timed, to others can be a great strength. It can be, even as Paul said in Ephesians 5.21, an example of submitting ourselves to one another. And that takes great strength and humility, a humility that God himself prizes and that demonstrated in Jesus Christ. We could use some of that humility. After Mordecai received the king's great honor in chapter 6, remember Haman? (laughs) He thought he was telling the king uh, what the king should do to honor him. Because when the king asked, what should I do to honor a man that I want to honor, that I desire to honor? What should I do for that, that man? And so Haman starts to describe all the kingly things that should be done for him. And he's thinking, the king is thinking of Mordecai. Well, in chapter 6, Haman has to cry out, this is what is done for the man that the king wants or desires to honor. He has to lead him around on the king's horse, wearing the king's robe and a king's crown. And what happens immediately After that is carried out, what does Mordecai do? 
We're told in verse 12, Mordecai again sat at the king's gate. In other words, Mordecai goes right back to being Mordecai. He's a humble man. He's not all full of himself. He's not taken or hoodwinked by all the trappings of greatness in the Persian Empire. Esther and Mordecai do heroic things because of who they are. Mordecai saves the king because he sits at the king's gate. Esther saves her people because she sits as the queen. But it's not the position alone. In fact, every child of God knows that position and rule and height and greatness is given or granted by God. What we do with that position is determined by our character and the quality of the person that we are. And that is the focus of Esther. And that should be the focus of our lives. So that whatever position we find ourselves in, whether it be low or high, we are used of God. I'm uh, impressed with Esther. I hope you are too. Be reading ahead, okay? Well, God bless you. Give me my fist bump, elbow bumps, big hug. Mwah. Love you.